Blog Talk Radio. Hi, and welcome to The Art of Film Funding. I'm your co-host, Claire Papan, along with Carol Dean, author of the best-selling book, The Art of Film Funding. Carol is also the founder and president of From the Heart Productions and the host of this show. Sabine L. Jamile was wandering around the Middle East under inconceivable circumstances following the aftermath of the Persian Revolution and during the Lebanese Civil War. Sabine considers herself to be a citizen of the world. Her passion for filmmaking brought her to Los Angeles, where she resides since 1994. After editing a number of award-winning feature films, Sabine successfully marked her debut as a writer-director with her feature, Nilo Far. Her concerns for her children's health compelled her to make Generation Zapped, a feature documentary on the invisible incon- inconvenience of wireless technology. The invisible inconvenience. That's, that's a pretty good way to describe it. Currently, Sabine has two compelling and powerful socially engaged screenplays ready to get produced and a documentary series in development. Carol, I understand that Sabine won your Roy, Roy Dean film grant for her documentary, Generation Zapped. Yes, Claire, she did, and I'm really proud of Sabine's brilliant documentary on the dangers of Wi-Fi. Thank you so much for joining us, Sabine. Thank you for having me on the show. Okay. Well, I want to start um, with why you decided to make Generation Zapped. Let's go there. Well, like, uh, like Claire mentioned, it's really because I became aware from the health impact from cell phones. And at the time, my older son was graduating from sixth grade going into seventh grade. And um, a lot of the kids around that age were starting to carry cell phones. That was in like 2012. So I was um, very concerned about the amount of their screen time and wasn't too keen on um, giving him a cell phone because of that. And then Somehow I became aware of um, radio frequencies in cell phones and how they could affect health. So then when I was touring schools for for middle schools for him, I went into school and that was the year of the iPad rollout in Los Angeles where every student uh, was handed an iPad and education was going um, digital. And it just dawned to me when I saw this classroom with all those kids with iPads, a smart board, that it was kind of like a a microwave and that the kids were in a microwave set on very low power mode. So I started making changes in my life, talking to my friends around me. But honestly, nobody would take me seriously or very little people, very... uh, Certainly not my kids, actually, who thought it was a crazy idea that if cell phones were not safe, they wouldn't be on the market. And I felt that I had a social responsibility as a filmmaker because 
once something goes out into the media and goes out into the world, people take it seriously. And I felt that making a, a change in my direct surrounding was not impactful enough and that I had to tell the world. So that's how I thought, well, I'm a filmmaker. Why not make a film about it? That's how it all started. Well, this is brilliant, and it's so needed because there are a lot of us. I'm one of these who is highly affected by Wi-Fi, um, and, and people don't believe you when you say this, but I keep my office almost Wi-Fi free, and, uh, and my daughter, Carol, and her friend Richard and I were working on something together, the three of us, and they were standing behind me, and I was working at my computer. Well, I didn't know that they had their iPad, one iPad and two cell phones on, and within an hour, I was totally exhausted. I felt like I was, I had to go to bed. I had to go take a nap. And so when I got back up, and I said, What's, how many cell phones were on, you know? And it was the Wi-Fi. The radiation got me. So you have, you've got a fabulous film. It's a work of art that shares the importance of, of some restrictions around cell phones and Wi-Fi. And it, at the end of your film, you've outlined five simple things that you can do to benefit your health. So share those with us. Yes. Well, first, I'm glad that uh, you were able to know that, that it was um, Wi-Fi and radio frequency related because a lot of people have those symptoms, whether it's fatigue, nausea, headaches, and they can't figure out where it's coming from. And if only people reduced their exposure to radio frequencies, they would eliminate those symptoms. So the five things that I often um, recommend people is and especially for teenagers, because that was my original goal, is don't sleep with your cell phone by your bedside because you're not moving all night and the cell phone is actually looking for the, 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 the tower every few seconds and so it's sending a signal and you're right next to it all day long without moving. Because when you're moving, it's not the same pack of cells that are affected all the time. So it, being being... Uh, sleeping and having those waves crossing the same part of your body over time can be really dangerous. That's one thing. Don't put it in your in your same thing. Not carrying out the body. Don't put it in your pocket. Don't put it in your bra. Put it in the bag. Um, I tell people to turn off the Wi-Fi at night because all the devices continue to work when you're not using them, and it's creating this kind of like a, a, a steam room where you have all this steam if you want to visualize how radiation would be. And if you turn it off, all that steam would not be there. So at least you're doing that. You're tremendously reducing your exposure in your whole house. Um, also to turn off the Wi-Fi on the computer or on your devices when you're not using Internet. Um, my computer is hardwired. I tell my kids, if you are writing an essay or a paper, you're offline if you don't need to do research. And they, they got that. And once, once um, teens understand that devices are not toys and they're actually a potential health impact, they do pay attention and they follow instructions. So those are pretty much. I mean, there's a lot of um, a lot of different things that I do to reduce exposure, but those are the main, main ones. Well, this is. I really love the fact that you give us a lot of information in the film, and some of it's shocking. 
you know, and and you can't help but relate. Oh my God, I do that. Okay, that's wrong. I won't do that. And oh, I didn't know that it was that dangerous. And then you you start to feel like, oh, what have I done to myself? And then at the end, you say, here are five things you can do to improve your life. Uh, to me, that was the perfect way to end the film because. I felt you wrapped it up for me so that I knew what I could walk away with, not only knowledge, but solutions. So I really thank you for that. That was very important to me. I didn't want to have a film that left people hanging because what are we going to do? I'm I'm using technology... you know, six or seven hours of my day, and I and I need to. I'm not going to give it up, and I think most people are like me. Some people uh, have electrosensitivity that is so um, so intense that I can't use technology, and I respect that. Most of the people, and what I want, and but those people know about the health impact from radio frequencies. My goal was to reach the people who didn't know about it, to make a mainstream film, to make a, an awareness and informational film, so that people would take small steps. First of all, would become aware of it, and then second of would take small steps in their daily life to reduce their exposure. I'm not asking them to give it up. I'm not ready to give it up. And so once you 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 know, become accustomed to making little changes. Like, for instance, one more tip that I give when I'm working is all my apps are on my hardwired computer. I use Skype on it. I use WhatsApp on it and rather than on my phone. Um, so my phone is used when I'm out and I need to use it for work. Another thing, another tip that I forgot to say is that people shouldn't be driving using their cell phones. Now, we all do that. The problem that... that um, using your phone in the car is that radio frequencies are blocked by metal. So you're basically, you know, a radiation from your cell phone connecting to the cell tower or bouncing around in the car affecting your overall body. Oh, my gosh. That's, yes, I've read that in Oren, who came up here and helped me uh, testing for Wi-Fi and reducing the Wi-Fi told me that it, it was like being inside uh, a microwave when you are talking on your cell phone in your car. There is so much Wi-Fi bouncing around, right? Yes, thank you for mentioning that because there's a new profession um, that people are not that familiar with, and they're called building biologists. And Oren Miller, that I recommended to you in California, is uh, a building biologist. And there is the Institute of Building Biology, Ecology and Biology, and there's another one called um, EMF Experts. Actually, if you go to my website, www.generationzapped.com, under resources, you can find those two um, those two links where you can enter your. One is about giving classes, so you know how to um, measure radio frequency the exposure in your your house. And another one is you enter your zip code, and you can find a building biologist near you. So what they do, they come to your house, and they measure. Um, or monitor anything that's toxic in your house from overexposure to radio frequencies, especially if you don't know how you're exposed. Let's say you've, you've turned off all your Wi-Fi 
um, but there's a cell tower like uh, not too far from your house and you didn't know about it, well, they'd be able to tell you which direction it's coming from, what room would be the most affected, and what can you can do to remediate that. They have a lot of um, solutions for you. Um, they also do any anything that's really toxic and chemicals in your house and radio frequencies, EMFs, um, you know, with dirty electricity. And what dirty electricity is, is basically the electrical force that's coming out of your devices. And that's different. I don't mention that in the film um, because it gets too much to talk about. Uh, radio frequencies that, use, uh, that are used for communication and electrical force that is used on any devices. But that's also something that people should be concerned about and, and, and reduce in their, um, in their direct environment. And building biologists can help you identify the sources of um, EMF radiation or radio frequencies. Exactly. This uh, dirty electricity is the hidden secret, and that is electrical that is not covered by the metal pipes or flex. And I have that in my house. It was built with plastic covering the wires. So I had to move my desk to the center of the room. It was the only place I could get away from that dirty electricity because that, too, was affecting me. Uh, but, see, once you become aware of all of this, all you do is improve your health. You have clearer thoughts, and you have uh, more energy because that's re really what it does. It zaps your energy. So your, your film is really well named. Now, I wanted, we're going to talk about your outreach and your distribution strategies, but first I wanted to find out what is your audience feedback uh, do people thank you for making the film and bringing this information to light when they, when you screen it? Oh, yeah, I'm flooded with emails from all around the world thanking me for making this film. Um, it's had a great – whenever it's screened, uh, either at a community screening in a library, in a school, in a college, or uh, or in a festival – the response from the audience is fantastic because, again, it's not just a scary film and it's not sensational and it's one of the movies that are that is um, balanced. I really tried to bring the facts to light, not take position, let the uh, the viewer make their own decision on how they want to make changes and provide solutions at the end. So I think people are responding very well to that approach. Um, and also, it validates, because it's um, actually the first documentary that mentions all kinds of devices, uh, cell phone, Wi-Fi, smart meters, cell towers, those are, and, and Wi-Fi in schools particularly. So, so it's appealing to uh, parents and because it mentions all those um, four different uh, sources that can be damaging to to one's health, people with electro hypersensitivity have been using the film to validate their condition because um, almost everyone is electrosensitive, but we don't realize it. People who have someone to um, it's, it is said that about 5% of the population is actually severely electrosensitive, 
And a lot of time those people are categorized as being fringe or um, tinfoil hat people. When actually there, it's really debilitating that when they can't function. And so the film has given them a voice. I get a lot of um, emails filled with gratitude and thank you because pe- they've been using the film to educate the people around them who finally are starting to acknowledge their uh, the fact that it's it's disempowering or dis- they can be um, losing their functions when they're in a Wi-Fi environment, for example. Yes, exactly. Uh, and, it, you know, it, it's really courageous of you to bring this important information because we're never going to get this on any mainstream source. Uh, and, you know, I can just imagine someone on television telling you, don't put that cell phone up to your ear. But I learned early on, because when I was running my film business, I had uh, two filmmakers that got early cell phones, and they lived on their cell phones. And they both had brain cancer uh, right over the ear they used for their cell phone. And one died, one didn't. But I, that taught me, that was in, two, in the year 2000. So I don't use them. I turn it on once a day, and that's it. So nobody has that number. It's better for me because it will take all my energy. But let's get into documentary outreach and distribution strategies because let's start with, I think you hired John Reese to help you with social media and outreach. So tell us if that was beneficial and if you recommend this step. Well, in all honesty, Carol, if I didn't work with John Reese from um, whose company name is Hybrid Cinema, I don't know that the film would have gone very far. Here's why. Like you said, um, I have a sales agent, but it's been very hard to sell it to broadcast because of the content. We've had, because it's, it's about streaming, it's about telecom, it's about a lot of festivals are sponsored by telecom. Now, mind you, it is not necessarily a very cinematic film, that is an art house film festival film. It is more of an educational film um, that is intended to raise awareness, and it's more of an activist, activist film. Although the comment that I'm getting is, it, it looks really good because I'm a filmmaker, so it's, it's, I didn't shoot that on my cell phone, basically, <laughs> especially with the content. But um, so if uh, I hadn't met John Rees, I don't think the movie would have gone very far. And I learned that from my first uh, first film, that you get a distributor. But if you don't do the groundwork yourself, you know, the distributors get slates. They get 50 films that they sell at the same time. They can't give the attention to one film unless that film is award-winning and uh, Oscar-winning. And and then it, 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 it's another story. But there is so much content and so many documentaries and so many series nowadays that it's really hard to um, basically to to get it distributed on a, on a mainstream channel. So I got offered a theatrical deal um, that in all honesty I didn't take because it would have been too costly and it didn't make sense given the fact that 
I was working with John Reese. So what John did was we worked for about five months prior to releasing the film. So that's a long time. And what what we did in those five months is that he helped. Um, so he had a team, and I was working conjunctly with them. We built up my social media because that's a, uh, a work in itself of keeping up to date with uh, with everyone. We had lists of all the organizations that would be interested in showing the film in the mind and body community, in the wellness community, in the tech um, industry, in um, schools. We had we had about um, a mailing list of 6,000 6, schools in one state that was uh, shared with us, and we sent emails to all those schools, or do you want to have a screening of Generations app? And I think really for films like, um, oh, I'm blanking out, um, the wonderful film about teenagers and social media that came out right before mine. I'm sorry, I'm blanking out. Anyway, I inspired myself from that where I realized that to make an impact, you if you go in communities, people then take on the film themselves and want to show it. So that was pretty much the approach. It was, we had a screening manager so people could go online. They would uh, ask, how can I show the film? There were two or three different options that they could have under 15 people, over 245 people. And getting that license to show the film, they allowed them to sell tickets. So most people even made money on the film or or at least covered their fees unless they decided to, to offer it to friends and family and, and communities, which that's, that, that was a different approach. But it was possible for them to cover their fees with that. So really working with someone who knows the grassroots, and you can have an impact producer or an outreach um marketing director for instance the film is currently until tomorrow actually no until friday available on dr mercola for free for one week so thanks to john i don't think i would have been able to connect to dr mercola by myself just sending an email if john hadn't um connected with him and made the first contact so this is why it's important to work with someone who does outreach and who reaches out to the communities that are concerned with the issue and bigger um, websites like uh, Dr. Mercola or Natural Health 365. Or, so we've been, we've been in contact with those people. And now, so that was for the community screenings. And then the film went out on DVD. Again, a lot of people were able to I was able to reach out to a lot of people telling them, well, now the DVD is available um, and you can have a, a sales affiliate link. So uh, companies or building biologists can actually uh, sign up. They promote the film. It's word of mouth, right? That works the best. And they get a percentage of the sales of the film. That, for me, it's very advantageous because I raise awareness at an even uh, bigger and global level because everybody's talking about the film and they're sharing it to each other. I'm happy that people are doing that and are getting rewarded for their energy. 
and it helps the sale of the film because I still have to recoup my investment, which I haven't done so yet, but that's another story. Okay, it's always another story. And, yes, that's what they're going to be talking about at the Get Real Conference quite often is how can filmmakers, documentarians especially, recoup their costs. But but let's back up. Dr. McCullough, can you give us that website address so that people can get in there and listen while it's available? Yes, absolutely. It's Dr. Dr. Mercola, M. E R C O L A dot com in their documentary section, and they can search for Generation Zap. And if they don't have the time to watch it, they can they can get it on Amazon. It's now the film is available on iTunes, on Amazon, on Vimeo. And if they go to the website, they can see where the film is available and where it has subtitles um, on Vimeo, for instance, and iTunes. There's Spanish, German. Uh, subtitles and soon French subtitles so people can can get the film there and please I ask people to write reviews because on Amazon the more reviews on Amazon the more the movie gets uh, shared and considered so oh that's very important yes good Good job. Well, you you said you sent out a mailing to the 6,000 schools. Did that get you any screenings in schools? Well, I was very, very fortunate to have a funder who actually um, funded about 10 screenings. Oh, and what? so Yes, that was wonderful. So, uh, but... I'll be honest, schools are very scared about that movie because they're scared that parents are going to come and say, what are you doing to protect our kids? We don't want Wi-Fi, and they don't know what to do without Wi-Fi. And they're not ready to go hardwired. And my position is, to the schools that I've been in touch with, if you cannot remove Wi-Fi and be hardwired, whether because you don't have the budget or whether because you're not convinced about it, but you still want to uh, adopt the precautionary principle, or whether you're in doubt of, you know, if, if if it's a fringe idea or not, because the People, a lot of people say the science is not there yet, although it is, but that's another, and that's what you discover in the movie. Um, I tell them at least have educational, um, you know, guidelines to reduce children's exposure and for children to understand a few things. One, don't carry it on your body, not in the pocket, not in the bra, because a lot of girls do that in middle school. Second, when you're in a classroom, you're not supposed to text or answer the phone anyway. So why have it on on silent mode rather than airplane mode? Because on silent mode, it's still radiating, um, having radiation, and you have 30 kids in a classroom and a smart board and iPad, so it's really becoming this hub of, of radio frequencies, like bouncing on each other. So ideally, if the 30 teens would turn off their phones or put it on airplane mode, it would already significantly reduce their exposure. So if schools could say those two things, and thirdly, use Wi-Fi only when you need to connect to Internet as a commodity rather than always leaving it on, 
don't sleep with it under your pillow because it affects your grades because you don't sleep well and you don't sleep enough. I mean, those four, I would say, those four guidelines, if schools would only use that, it would make such a difference. Yes. But they're not ready yet. They're not so... Very few schools have showed the films, and with the schools that have showed the films, the film are either um, Waldorf school or Catholic schools or parents taking the film to their PTAs. A lot of parents have taken on this wonderful, um, you know, they joined the team, I would say, and they bought the film, they bought a community screening, they invited other parents, they invited the director. Now I have parents who are buying the film on Amazon and sending it to their to their school director. They're taking action on their community level, and that's really what I was hoping for. Yeah, that's the source. The parents are the source. And the grandparents, I would think, would be the major source, somehow reaching them because they'll be appalled. Um uh, this is really great. All right, let's stay on this. How important are strategic partners for documentary outreach? I think they're essential. Dr. McCullough being one, I just spoke about him a few minutes ago, because there is so much count, uh, content out there. There are so many causes that people need to embrace on climate change, education, um, war times, radio frequencies, toxic chemicals, um, glyphosate. I mean, there's so many things that people can be concerned about and should be concerned about that, that unfortunately most of the people tune out. The people who don't tune out choose their causes. Like a lot of uh, partners, I, I reached out to them and they said, you know what, we are uh, focusing on GMOs. We cannot take another cause. For instance, uh, Environmental Working Group. They are uh, focusing on their work against Monsanto and the toxic chemicals in the household. However, they have a section talking about radio frequency, but they can't endorse the film. So, so they, they, these environmental um, promotional partnerships or partners are essential to the life of a documentary because they have a mailing list. Not only they have a mailing list, but they have people who are concerned with the issue because really you want to find people who are interested to watch the film. Right. So that's why I think um, doing the work, and I remember I listened to one of your podcasts years ago since we know each other for over 10 years now, Um and in one of your uh, classes, actually, your first Trailblazer class about the art of funding, right when the book was coming out, um, you said if you're going to do a crowdfunding campaign, you need to think that only 5% of the people that you're going to reach out to are going to give you $50 or less, which at the time, I have to say, I thought that my cause was so extraordinary, I didn't believe it, and I thought I would get much more money than I did. <laughs> and I realized it's not about people not caring. Those are just the statistics. You were right. And it's pretty much the same with promotional partners. Out of 100 that you're going to reach out to who have millions of followers online, you're lucky if you get one. 
I feel oh blessed gosh. that Dr. Mercola is showing the film. You know? Yes. So it's a lot of work. But then again, if you don't do that work, you don't get that one chance. Right. Well, he is sitting on the people who care about your issue. So he's the right person. It takes, you know, what's that saying? You have to kiss a lot of frogs to find a prince, right? Exactly. (laughs) And there you go. You found him, which is wonderful. So then you highly recommend uh, outreach uh, research and starting with John Reese or someone like that who has a team in, in, and they know what they're doing and they can go to work on your film for you to to make sure that you get it to the audience that it is intended for, correct? Well, not only I recommend it, but I honestly I think it's essential. For an independent documentary, I don't see how how to do it otherwise. Um, I've learned so much in the process now, if you are uh, lucky enough to be part of a, uh, the Sundance team and your film uh, premieres in Sundance and uh, wins um, a prize in Sundance, you're in a different position uh, for the distribution of your film. You know you're going to get a Netflix, di- Netflix deal or you're going to get a theatrical deal or something. Um, that is worth it because I got a theatrical deal that it was not worth worth the money, to be honest. Um, I mean, it was a huge risk to take. So I don't, yeah, I think it's essential. Okay. Well, tell us what you've done for outreach that you think has helped you. The key things. The key things. Um, finding who your audience is and what they're watching, what are the websites and and, and their interests, really narrowing it down. There's no point in in reaching out to someone who's into fashion if they're not interested by electromagnetic fields. Um, I tried, and the reason I mentioned fashion is because I'm convinced that there is potential for um, protective clothing. And in 2013, when I did my first crowdfunding campaign, I thought, well, you know, I I need to supplement my income. Maybe I should uh, pair up with someone who's into uh, fashion. And I got together actually by really by chance or synchronicity with a very well-known high-end um, fashion designer who was fascinated by the idea, who loved it, and who wanted to have jeans with a protective pockets for teens. Oh, great. Well, they made all those, and unfortunately, the fabric that is used to protect, uh, that, that protective fa- fabric is made of silver lining, and it doesn't hold up the wash. So, because uh. of his name, he didn't want to get into it. But there are a lot of protective gear that you can find, for instance, on lessemf.com. If you're electrosensitive, there's like jumpsuits and hoodies and, and caps and gloves that protect you. I have to say that um, when you wear protective gear like that, because metal reflects, blocks radio frequencies, any frequen- radio frequencies that are coming to you when you're wearing those um, clothing, 
is reflected back to other people. So people around you are exposed twice. So people really should know that. Yes. And the only product that I endorse, because I've, I've decided there are so many protective cases and things like that um, out there that you and stickers, and so you don't know what works really. But the only one I do endorse because I'm 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 mama bear and I want to protect babies and and mama and pregnant mothers, uh, particularly because of the potential link between the rise of autism and overexposure of uh, pregnant women, there are some protective gears for pregnant women and for babies, little hats and and, um, and blankets. Now, what I tell to people who ask me about it, I said, well, if you have a toddler and a baby, you don't want the toddler to be next to the baby who is uh, wrapped in that blanket because the toddler is going to get double exposed. So, so, So it's really a matter of of knowing your environment, understanding the science, seeing my film to know <laughs> to know more about the subject matter. But so so I was convinced that fashion would be the way to bring my film to another level and really reach the masses. But it's People who are interested in fashion are not interested in, in EMF, and I realized that they needed to be um, informed about what were radio frequencies, what were EMFs, and how it was affecting them on the cellular and biological level before they could even be interested with protective fashion gears. Right. They're that far <laughs> behind. That's 10 years behind, yes, really. If there's many layers to this, of course, you know, because of people's personal interests and because of people's interest in health and, and do they do they blend together the philosophies and the things that we're willing to do. And I just wanted to chime in for a moment, Sabine, and, and tell you I am familiar with Less EMF. That's lessemf.com is the website because I've gotten some of their products and I use them. And um, in one case, uh if you have to have, for instance, uh, uh, Wi-Fi in a, say, for instance, your business, um, they have a, a protective shield that can go over the Wi-Fi modem, and it will um, tame a lot of the harmful radiations from the Wi-Fi, but you can still get the Wi-Fi. So yes, and what it does, shot. it actually it, it actually deflects it, so it's not directly at you, but it's still around you. But it's 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 like you said, it's taming it. It's not taking it away. But yes, yes, and I have, and then uh, <laughs> it's important. They're, they're wonderful. And then when you were talking about teenagers and the clothing. Um, and that you know you can't wash the jeans because the of the metal, the metallized fabric that's in there that uh, uh, blocks them from getting the emissions. Um, they they can buy the fabric separately and use it um, only when you know they're they're they have the cell phone with them, and that way they don't have to put that in the wash. But what you're saying about well it does then deflect it back to the people that are around you. Um, that, yeah, that, that is, I, we're just going to have to come up with some more creative ideas on how to work with that. 
Well, the manufacturers are the ones who should be reducing the amount. I mean, they, they should be the ones that are considerate of their clientele using it. This is the elephant in the room. Nobody's talking about that. Yeah, and you know, uh, coming back to the, uh, the to the issue of uh, of uh, outreach and how what uh, how important it is. Right now, there are a few people who are um, rightly so considering uh, supporting the film because they're realizing that you can't have a healthy lifestyle, eating organic, non-GMO, no toxic te- chemicals in the household, and yet have Wi-Fi all day long. There's a family like that who has the the the, the perfect you know <laughs> Los yes. Angeles lifestyle, fitness and uh, and health and no toxic chemicals, only natural. But they haven't made the switch yet to understanding how radio frequency is affecting their life, especially when you have an, a child with uh, Im- immunodeficiency or um, learning difficulties or slightly on the autistic um, spectrum because especially those families pay a lot of attention to their environment except radio frequencies. Yeah, And that's that's a big one that is starting to to hopefully um, gather more interest. Very important, very important. Well, I think this is thinking outside the box to go from a Wi-Fi to how uh, to protection to clothing. Of course, that's what's coming, uh, it, and it will be uh, because. But it has to come when people recognize the problems, uh, and that's only going to happen with uh, getting your film the right people and that's families and everything that you said that you and John went after that market the health market uh, the new age market the school market all of those are spot on for your film so but it uh, is exhausting i mean it takes a crew it takes a budget i mean let's not forget that john john reese is is fabulous and fantastic but he has a company, and that's how he makes his living. So, um, the, and there's also Matthew Broderick who, who does that, those kind of consulting for outreach and impact. These are costly, and one of the mistakes that I did in making this documentary is that I didn't take that into consideration in my original budget or in my crowdfunding. And I think people are not understanding at the crowdfunding level, why it's important to already think about your marketing for distribution. And I'm not only talking about the people, uh, the filmmakers and producers, I'm talking about the donors. For the donor, they, they, they don't understand the distribution part and how hard it is to, to get a film out. And how costly, not only hard, it's very costly. And usually, as filmmakers, all we want to do, we want to just finish the film and show it to people and show it to the donors and thank them for their involvement and their care and their support. And then we're left hanging going, oh, well, well, now what? How do I get it out? Um, So I, I think that I can't stress enough how this needs to be taken into consideration way ahead. Give us some numbers to put in there. To put in the budgets, realistic ones. 
Um, I think I didn't get any favors on my film. Every every um, every you know uh, position uh, was paid in full. Whether it's the DP, the editors, assistant editors, um, didn't I didn't get. Um, I didn't ask for favors, and I do believe that people should be rewarded for their uh, energy, which is why I ended up taking four years to make the film because I would fundraise a little bit, stop, and then fundraise, and then do some editing, and then fundraise again, and wait. And So I would say that one-third of your budget should be allocated for marketing, but those are my numbers. I'm not an expert, but I would say that that's pretty much what should be what should be planned for. So one third of the budget. So if you have a let's say easy numbers, three hundred thousand dollar a budget for a doc, then that is a hundred thousand. For distribution, yeah, I would say so. I would if you wanna if you wanna really get it out, um I would say so. Yes. Because and you wanna you have that includes your social media. It includes your outreach. It in, it includes your elements for the distributors getting it. It it includes your graphic work for your DVDs, the manufacturing of your DVDs, the the shipping of them. The, it includes all that. Um, and you know, I didn't have enough of a of a digital marketing. I ideally I should have put twenty thousand on Facebook ads, which I didn't have. I think maybe in total I've put maybe 3,000, 4,000 total. But if I wanted it to be really uh, more uh, out there, I I should have put much more than that. And I know other documentaries that did that. And it was successful. So Facebook advertising works for for these socially, uh, social docs. I think it does on Facebook. I think it does because Facebook is targeted. I mean, I mean, people who are interested in some subject matters will, you know, interested in EMF, they will share it. So I think that the more people see it, the more get, get people would get interested, especially with a subject like that. We're not right. talking about, you know, the working life of ants. But um, so, yeah, I think digital marketing is much more important than than I anticipated. Digital marketing. Okay. Yeah. Now, if anyone wants to book a screening, they go to your website and book it, right? So tell yeah. us the website. Yeah, a works. lot of people tell me, you know, now that it's uh, on, I get a lot of emails like that, and I'd like to, to make a point to that. Now that the DVD is out, people feel that they don't need to host community screenings. And there's two reasons why that's not true. First is because there is copyright law and people still need to get a license to publicly show the film. And second, it's not having as much of an impact in the community because it's on a smaller level. Um, The advantages of getting what's called a public performance right, PPR, through the website, I mean, when you go watch the film on the website, 
you you can get it on Amazon, on iTunes. You can get a, a PPR license for schools, or you can get a PPR license for your library. I mean, there's a lot of options, and people can always email us to uh, to ask about it, how they can show the film. But showing the film in a professional setting with all the digital marketing that is offered by us, the discussion guide, the support in creating events on Facebook so people know about it. it it's helping create a buzz and it's giving credibility to the film and to the person organizing that screening. And that's not something that people can get when they just buy the DVD and show it to, to, their, uh, to their school. And really, um, you know, a lot of people say, yeah, but it's too expensive. But they don't realize how expensive it is to make a movie, how expensive it's been to get it out there, how it's expensive it's been to just put it on the iTunes. I was, I was shocked that I needed to get an aggregator to put the film on iTunes and Amazon and Vimeo and how much it cost. And that added to some money that I had not anticipated. And they were, I was very blessed because they put the money up front and they're getting getting it back on this, they're recuperating it on the the sales and I'll get my share whenever they, they get theirs. So the film to this date has not, um, uh, is way far from getting its money back, let alone making money on it. So I think if people think that this is valuable information, then they they should support the film. Well, you tell know. us about hiring this aggregator. How did it work? Um, through my um, through my sales agent, and I work a lot with a company called the Film Collaborative. They're wonderful. They're festival strategists. I worked with them for my festival strategy, and um, and somehow I had a sales agent, and it happened that way. But if you wanna, you, you, there's no. I mean, one can't. You you can put your own DVD on Amazon, and you can put your own DVD on uh, your own film on iTunes. But you don't get the numbers that they get because they work with the big ones. Uh, I that's another important point. Why would you give 20% to an aggregator precisely for that? Because they're doing the work for you. They they are the ones who are going to put it at Barnes and Nobles and Best Buy and and all those places that you as an individual would will not reach to. So they're interested in volume. And as as filmmakers, it's difficult because you're intru- you're just seeing the small picture of wanting to get your money back and hopefully make a little money for the four years that I've worked pro bono on this film. Um, but I'm really, my, you know, my, uh, my retailer down the street it cannot compare to Barnes & Noble's that my aggregator going to get, you know? Right. So, yes, that's why. Okay, well, and uh, tell us about your sales agent. Um, well, I have a, uh, I have a few different. Um, I, I I do recommend, and this is why I like the film collaborative because you retain your rights if they like your film and they agree to, to be your sale agent. You still retain your your rights. So I have different um, sales agent, and I've tried to be non-exclusive with any of them. So I could have uh, evaluate what are the be- better deals. So. Um, to get it to, to 
So as an independent filmmaker, and I'm sure it's different if um, if it's produced by uh, a renowned production company. But as an independent filmmaker, you it it it's it's hard to um, to reach the Netflix people or to reach PBS or. So that's why that's why it's important to get a to get a sales agent to represent you and pay the fee that goes along with it, which is about thirty to thirty five percent. So anytime you pay a percentage, you're you're like <laughs> how far you are from your recoupment in your investment. But at the same time, it's helping uh, promote the film and getting it out there because that's what they do. They know where to go. They know who's going to be interested. They know who to reach out to. Well, uh, did you did they approach Netflix or Amazon for? <laughs> Yes, uh, Amazon not yet. Well, uh, Prime not yet. We're holding off on the, on that for a little bit. But uh, Netflix, yes, um, they've considered it, it three times, three rounds, and got rejected at every round. It got so it got rejected the first time. Then they're like, well, actually, let us revisit it. We're really interested. And then it went through a second round, and then. Uh, you know, by the third round, I think he went probably to every board at Netflix saying, "Well, we can't show this film because it's about streaming and it's about our business." <laughs> you know. <Of> course. <laughs> so oh. because because honestly, when you see some of the uh, and there's no there's no big names. You know, I'm not a I'm a first um, first time documentarian, independent filmmaker, and it didn't win Sundance or Cannes or, or Berlin. Um, so I think that makes it more difficult. They're really going more for series and um, and high-profile directors and, and, and uh, talent. Exactly. So, but uh, are you approaching cable and TV stations? Yes, we are. No luck yet. <laughs> oh, I hope to goodness that that works for you. Now, when you said you've been working on this for four years, I have to tell you that I spoke to Mari Warshawski on this blog talk show two or three weeks ago, and Mari said that the average is five to six years. You have to be prepared to put that much time into a doc. So you're a year and a half at least ahead of others. Well, so actually... Actually, I'm still working on it, if you consider the distribution. So it was uh, 2013, so I'm close to five years, yeah. Yeah, well, there you yeah. are. And that's, yeah. that's what you said to expect. And you haven't been able to pay yourself anything so far, no. right? No, I think I haven't been smart enough to do that. <laughs> I kept thinking, oh, it'll come. Oh, well, no, I've got to finish this. I've got to, I've got to finish the... Uh, the online, uh, the color timing, and then expecting more donations. And at some point, you know, my donors got tapped out, which I totally understand. Um, so, yeah, no, I haven't been able to. But you will. I think this has a long shelf life, and it might have be one of those that hits a curve. It just goes along uh, with a little bit of sales. Then it may just peak and streak forward to an upward rise because – the more people, more this gets into the consciousness, you're feeding knowledge to the unknown, to people who are, have no clue of what's going on. And 
it's a breakthrough. They, people have to reach this breakthrough and say, okay, this is a good tool, but my health is uh, my priority here, so I'm going to use it sparingly or use it according to what Sabine told me in her film. Actually, I have to say there the Getting Real Conference, the documentary Getting Real Conference, it happens yes. every two years in Los Angeles. And there is a workshop for which I'm very excited about that actually <laughs> teaches you how to plan your budget and pay yourself. Um, in the last, I've attended it for three, actually, so it, it has been six years since it's my sixth attendance of that event. Um, see, you're right. Um, and they really put a focus on sustainability for filmmakers. Um, and I think that's why they're, they're, they're growing in attendance. They're sold out, actually, for this year, which is quite amazing. People are flying from all over the place to come to this. I think it's becoming the biggest um, uh, documentary conference in the U.S. And um, or maybe worldwide, I'm not sure, but it's certainly in the U.S. And so I'm really looking forward to uh, to that event and to connecting to people there. And they're they're focusing a lot on sustainability and and educating filmmakers who are passionate about the subject matter. Also, think about the marketplace. Exactly. You know, being a fiscal sponsor um, and working with filmmakers like you, I'm so honored to be your fiscal sponsor. I'll tell you that it wasn't too long ago I had a woman call me and say, you know, I just got an award. It was maybe $3,500. And she said, Carol, I need to use $2,000 to pay myself. And I said, of course. (laughs) Because how else can you make the film if you don't support yourself? And I think it's something in the consciousness for independent filmmakers that I'll put myself last where I think you, you should put yourself first. I really think that you all should take a percentage of every incoming check that goes uh, against your salary because when you get down five years invested, you will you may never get back what you could have if you were being a uh, paid if you had a work for hire job. So I hope you do, but I want you all to start thinking of yourselves as entrepreneurs and treating yourselves that way. No, you're right. You're absolutely right. I've learned the hard way. <laughs> so, yes, you have to really give it to yourself. Put put a 20% over in your other checking account. So what are your next plans for Generation Zapped? Well, I'm uh it's on I'm I'm really hoping that it's going to be pick up on Amazon. I'm encouraging people to go on Amazon and buy it on Amazon and write reviews. Reviews is what helps and on iTunes because on iTunes there are some uh, subtitles French and Spanish and and German. Um and hopefully we'll have more and more subtitles, but um I'm hoping that over time, especially with 5G, 5G is another thing that I talk in the film, but it's basically what's coming up to all of us. And and what's the most dangerous, basically, it's uh, what's after 4G, and it's to have a faster streaming capability. The problem with the 5G is that the the broadband is shorter, the waves are shorter, and they don't travel um, buildings as well. So uh, they don't, actually. So what the um 
the telecom industry has to do is that they have to have a lot of access points, so cell towers, mini cell towers, but much more of them. So so they're actually putting them on lampposts in front of people's homes, on um, uh, mailboxes and things like that. And that's... that's um, that's very scary because it's going to create a grid, a massive grid of radio frequencies and how are you going to hide in your own house with all that much radiation. And um, it's, it's going to allow people to have more and more devices within their homes with the Internet of Things. Their fridge is going to be connected to that. Their electricity bill, bill and that's already with smart meters. But every smart devices, Alexa and all that is going to work much better because the, the the connection is going to be so much faster and so much closer in proximity. So people are going to have, are going to want more and more devices when they should actually have less and less devices because they're stronger and stronger. So it's a really a contradiction. So it's, it's unfortunate to say, but from a philanthropic um, uh, standpoint, I'm really hoping that people are going to wake up, watch the film and and not buy all those stuff because they can change the marketplace depending on what they buy and what they request from manufacturers. Yes, the people have the power. It's their pocketbooks. That don't open your pocketbook. Uh, when I lived in my apartment in New York, I was there for 30 years, and all of a sudden my hair started falling out. And I, uh, so I went to the uh, local drugstore to see what if I could find a shampoo uh, that would help. I didn't know what was going on. And a, another woman was there and with the same complaint, and she was talking to a salesperson about what can I do. And I thought, you know what, I thought it was just me, but it wasn't. And I checked, and they had put a cell tower. I was at 23rd Street on the 33rd floor, right, 36 floors in the building. So it was right on top of the cell tower. And the only way out was to move out, Sabine. Which I did. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That's the way it has to be. But you've got to know that these things. You have to know what the cause of it is. So, um, I'm just so proud of you for the work you've done on this film, and all of us. Thank you very much for going to the trouble to devote your life to bringing us this important information. Yes. Thank you for helping me get it out there. <laughs> You're so welcome. So, uh, well, good luck. I hope you enjoy the conference, and uh, maybe you'll come back in another eight months and let us know the status and what pitfalls there are in this journey of getting the info to the people. Thank you so much. Thank you. Okay, thanks. Best of luck. Thank you. Yes. Thank you, Claire. Good work. Oh, Thank you're you welcome. so much, Claire. Thank you, Carol. That was fantastic. I didn't. It felt so fast yeah. and so informative. Yes, it's yeah. fast and it's fun, and you did a great job. We, you've educated us so much. It's fabulous. And uh, we'll have to uh, have you back on again real soon when you come out with uh, some more films, because each time we have you on, you teach us more about filmmaking as well. So thank you so much. Okay. Thank you. All right, bye-bye. All right. Okay, be well. Carol, can I call you now? Please. Okay, I'll call you right now. Thank you so much. All right, lots of love. Bye-bye. Bye. Bye.
Okay. Be well, everyone. And to our listeners, I want to tell you how grateful we are for the donations you've given at FromTheHeartProductions.com to support our podcast. And Carol and I sincerely thank you for that. We'd love to hear from you as well. If you have ideas for more shows, what are some of the topics that you would like covered? Who do you want interviewed? We are always open to your feedback, so just let us know. And please join us next week for the Art of Film Funding podcast. Now, in its second edition, Carol Dean's popular book, The Art of Film Funding, has 12 new chapters to cover all areas of film financing and how to avoid expensive pitfalls. Learn how to start with an idea and end with a trailer. How to make an ask for money. Create your story structure and your trailer. Legal advice, fair use, successful crowdfunding, how to ask for music rights, and what insurance you can't shoot without. Available on Amazon under Carol Dean and at FromTheHeartProductions.com. I want to remind our listeners that David Raiklin is a brilliant and talented award-winning musician who scores films and can compose music for a trio or for a full orchestra. David is a very good friend to the independent filmmaker and comes highly recommended by From the Heart Productions. If you need music to help tell your story, please contact him at davidraiklin.com. That's David, R-A-I-K-L-E-N dot com. And Carol and I want to thank you for tuning in to the Art of Film Funding. Please visit our website at fromtheheartproductions.com. You can also find us on Facebook and Twitter. Good luck with your films, everyone.